And then in 57, I joined the Weather Troop. I was the first one to be a co-founder of the group. We took two years to uh, get other members and to practice. And in 59, we gave the first uh, show. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Baladins Live podcast. And today we definitely have an exciting episode and I'm so happy to present to you our today's guest, Dr. Mo Gedawi, a teacher, dancer, choreographer of Oriental Dance. He is a native of Cairo who has made his home in Berlin, Germany for the past 20 years. His beginnings in the formal study of dance began with the invitation to join a ballet school in the royal palace of King Farouk's cousin. Years later, Dr. Mogadavi met Mahmoud Reda and in 1957 he became a co-founder of Reda Troupe. In our today's interview, we talked a lot about his years in the troupe and taking two years to prepare for their first show and how the costumes, props, choreographies, how everything was created. So you'll definitely have an interesting dive in the life of Reda troupe. Jumping forward, in 1964, the group was nationalized and the same year Dr. Mogadavi left the group and decided to actually leave Egypt, which we also talked about in our today's episode. During his busy dance career, he has worked in many feature films and TV series in Europe and the Middle East. He was working there as a dancer, choreographer, and sometimes even as an actor. His most memorable experiences include The Second Man with Samia Gamal and Sabah, Summer Vacation with the Reda Troupe, A Man from Alaska with Douglas MacLair, His Divorce, Her Divorce with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, and TV series The Lawyer as well. Also, Dr. Mogadavi, along with his dance career, also is a doctor of medicine, which is his second love after his first love to dancing. So today's interview I really consider as a jewel of our Belly Dance podcast treasury, <laughs> and I definitely um, know that you will get some inspiration and some interesting thoughts diving not only in the history of dance because Dr. Mogadavi's activity on his own and together with Radis Troupe it's definitely already part of history of oriental dance but also diving into today's realities and interesting tips and thoughts for dancers to think about today on their path and on their journey of creative life. So on this note, I wish you joyful listening and let's dive into the interview. I am really 
so happy and pleased to uh, welcome Dr. Mogadavi at our podcast. And this is one of the conversations that I'm, we haven't started, but I'm pretty sure it's one of the must-listen conversations for dancers and all listeners from our podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today and agreeing to share your time and a little bit about your story on our podcast. <laughs> No, it's a, it's of course a pleasure to to share knowledge and experience with colleagues and with dancers and with dance lovers and uh, yeah it's a good thing if we cannot uh, uh, meet and, and have uh, live festivals at least we can use the internet to keep the contact with uh, the dance family yeah that's true that's true I typically uh, start every conversation uh, digging back to roots because it's very interesting to hear the very beginning of dance story. And for you as native Egyptian, of course, dance and music it probably was a part of your life <laughs> from the very childhood. But what was that transition for you that you start thinking about dance as something more than just a part of daily life but more as a career because dance as a career choice is not that typical in Egypt <laughs> well um, I think uh, it's very natural that uh, every kid a boy or a girl um, they have some sort of talent and if this talent discovered uh, they have to improve it uh, through uh, working and studying and enjoying. And this is exactly what happened when I was, uh, I think uh, I was maybe five or six years old, that my family discovered that uh, my love to the dance. I used to go to the movies and then come back and imitate, you know, Fred Astaire, uh, imitate Jane Kelly. And uh, it was easy to discover that this boy has uh, uh, dance talent. So I was lucky in a way that at my time at school, there were also uh, dancing and singing and acting groups. Of course, I joined the, the, almost all groups. I uh, was very active as a child. And then I was uh, discovered by uh, a ballerina from the royal family who uh, took me and uh, uh, teach me classical ballet for six years. And uh, I continued after that with modern dance and, you know, uh, all of the um, entering all competition with rock and roll and Lindy's and Boogie Boogie and some. Uh, and uh, at that time, you know, um, we used to have in the clubs in Egypt, in every country club, they used to have competitions for uh, tango and samba and, and uh, swing and boogie boogie and cha-cha-cha. And I was very, very active at that. And then I started to learn modern dance. And then in 57, I joined the Reda Troop. I was the first one to be a co-founder of the group. Uh, we took two years to... Uh, get other members and to practice. And in 59, we gave the first, uh, um, the first uh, show. And it continued with the Red Group for a, for a long time until 64, when I moved uh, to Germany. And uh, I kept, you know, uh, dancing and 
start teaching dancing also in Europe. I was the first Egyptian, as a matter of fact, who started to teach dancing in, in Europe and in America. Uh, before me, they were good teachers, but were mostly Americans. I was really the first Egyptian to do this. And it uh, continued, people appreciate the way I teach. Uh, I'm very much uh, engaged in the dance. It's priority number one in my life. I love it. And uh, people feel this and they enjoy the workshops. And uh, I give all the experience I have and all the knowledge I have without any hesitation to everybody. Can you tell a little bit more about the time that you studied with a um, member of royal family? Because as far as I know, it was a very special school. It's not like you anyone could get into the school. And uh, in general, even the uh, existence of that specific school at that time in Egypt, it was uh, not something very, you say, common or expected. <laughs> No, I must say that there were several uh, private uh, uh, ballet and dance schools. Uh, but I was lucky because the lady, <clears throat> excuse me, the lady, the lady from uh, the royal family by the name of Saida Souter, she was an old lady, she was a ballerina, but I think it was forbidden for her to dance in public because uh, of being a member of the royal family. And who, uh, because of her love to the dance, she uh, changed one big room in her palace, uh, the dance studio, and she picked up a few kids from several schools. I was lucky to be one of them, and she taught us for free. Mm, she herself was teaching. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Tell you that there was many, many uh, ballet schools, especially in Cairo and Alexandria. And as a matter of fact, Mahmoud Reda went towards to... Uh, Ballet School in Cairo by Madame George, uh, I believe. Uh, and there were also um, schools for, uh, you know, um, for modern dance and for social dance. Also. A lot of schools for social dance. Because social dance at that time in Egypt was very popular, you know, to have parts in dance time going home now. It was very, very popular in almost every, every country club. At that time, then you were a child and so active in dancing with very obvious, like a big uh, love, uh, being involved in dance. How was your uh, family reaction when they saw that? Oh, it's not just for fun; it's something like really you're passionate about. Well, I think my family encouraged me. Uh, as well that encouraged me in sports also. I was uh, a swimmer and a diver. And uh, they were happy that I was doing well at school also. So this facilitated me, you know, their, uh, um, their encouragement. Mm. And uh, later, also through some sport uh, and art activities, you met with Mahmoud Reda. Do you remember your very first meeting with him? Oh, yes. <laughs> it was at the uh, club called Cairo Club. The club still exists. It's a country club. And this country club used to have uh, every uh, Saturday and Sunday 
party with live music, or you know, as I said, the, the for dancing tango and rumba and samba, etc. And um, Mahmoud Reda was uh, uh, in the gymnastic team in the uh, gymnastic team of Egypt, as well as my older brother. So they know each other. Anyway, Mahmoud Reda came to that party with his wife, Miss Nadida. And I was dancing with a young girl, doing samba, rumba, doing my thing that I do every week. And he was watching me. And after I finished, he called me and asked me about my name. I said, Bidawi. and said, oh, you're a brother of Bidawi uh, from the gymnastic. I said, yes. And he said, oh, he liked my dancing. And uh, he told me that he has a ballet school and offered me to uh, come and learn with him. I immediately agreed, and then uh, after a few weeks or months, he started telling me about his idea about the uh, founding folkloric uh, group. Uh, immediately I joined, I was the first one to join. And as I said, we continued, and uh, I brought many people to the group also, from friends, uh, from also from the university, colleagues from the university, like. Uh, uh, Hassan Afifi, I brought him to the group, Yusri Hamdi, uh, Hassan Muhammad, many, many people that I know, even my cousin, I brought him also to the group, who became later uh, the director of the group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was like a family life, uh, uh, working, everybody uh, gave uh, all what he can uh, concerning the dance and concerning the ideas and uh, even the costumes was designed by the wife of Mahmoud Reza. The props were did it ourselves. Uh, we sat together and did the palazzas and uh, you know all these things. So it was a family, a beautiful family life. Mm. And what was the main? Uh, passion or goal right in the very beginning because we know what Mahmoud's Reda's uh, what your troop got um, afterwards like what it got into but the very very beginning because you spent two years preparing for basically your first show but was what that passion that really drove you or that dream of what exactly uh, that group was for you I think the, the dream was, uh, especially I would say uh, first for Mahmoud Reda, because in '57 uh, the Egyptian government uh, um, asked one of the famous directors by the name of Zakitul Aymat to prepare a group, uh, a, a dancing or a musical, uh, to go and compete in Russia uh, during the uh, youth festivals in uh, 57. And uh, Zakit chose Mahmoud Reda as the first dancer and Naima Akif as the first uh, lady dancer. And uh, I, I think Mahmoud Reda experienced there that, uh, you know, every country has a, a folkloric group uh, to compete uh, except uh, Egypt. And I think it was the point that uh, made him keen on starting a a real folkloric uh, group or theater folkloric group to represent Egypt in uh, such festivals. It's so interesting how, like, we are talking about competition, dance competition, basically back then, many years ago, that kind of encouraged uh, or sparked uh, uh, such a 
treasure of uh, Egyptian like culture and uh, uh, as Mahmoud read as troupe. And now there are so many these days, no, uh, modern days, there are so many discussions that the same dance competitions, but they uh, kind of go not together with like true Egyptian like culture and the essence of dance and like all oh, competing and dance and there are all these um, benefits, advantages and disadvantages like harm and good. But it's so interesting the analogy. What is? I mean, we are jumping a little bit of the uh, trajectory of your uh, dance development career, but I'm really curious to know like what is uh, your opinion about this phenomena as dance competitions? Well, the competition, if it's uh, done uh, in a good way, uh, in a nice way, like sports competition, uh, there is no harm in that because the competition also uh, benefit the dancer. The fact that she so she takes time and and uh, give energy, and then she uh, stand on the stage, so she get the experience of performing on the stage in front of audience and at the same time discover her mistakes and learn also from the others. If it goes on like this without any hard feelings, then it's okay. But if you go to a competition just uh, for the sake of uh, winning and, uh, you know, and uh, become famous, I don't think this is good. Mm. So competition is okay if it's done in this uh, sport spirit uh, to to learn more, mm. to experience. As a learning tool, yeah, that's so true. And coming back to your uh, work uh, with Mahmoud Rada and the troupe, in the beginning it was a very small, uh, small group. It was like about 10, uh, 12 dancers, if I'm not mistaken. Six, six boys, six girls. And Farida Fami and Mahmoud. How was the process of creation uh, dances? Was it all the responsibility of Mahmoud Rada, or was in the beginning like all you were participating specifically in the choreography or creating the dance routines? <laughs> of course, at the end, it was the responsibility of uh, Mahmoud. Uh, however, he gave us the opportunity always to discuss the ideas. But the last decision was his decision, of course. Mm. And uh, it was very interesting because often dances were created before music was composed for those dancers. Dances. Yes, yes. We, uh, with the Reda group, uh, what uh, Mahmoud did, that he created and choreographed the dance, and after that brought the, the music uh, uh, maestro, Mr. Ali Ismail, who saw the dance and Mahmoud Reda explained to him the concept and the idea, and then he made the music. Two years preparing your first show. Do you remember your feelings before that first show was starting? Like the moments before you went on stage? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think we were very, very, very happy. Uh, for me, there was no any fear because, as I said, at my time, at schools, uh, all, all schools in Egypt, there was always acting groups and dancing groups. And so we were accustomed to go on the stage. 
So that was not, uh, but of course you have this uh, stage fever anyway, because also, uh, you know, out of uh, 13 dances, the whole show, I was dancing in 11 dances. So sometimes I had to go uh, out the stage, change my clothes quickly and uh, come back for the next dance. Hmm. But uh, there was a lot of happiness because at that time I was at the university. And of course, I invited the, the dean of the university, the uh, professors, and, and everybody appreciated that. And everybody was happy that this is the, um, I think also because the uh, image of the dance, especially belly dance in Egypt, at that time was uh, was, a di- was different. Um, like people had great respect for uh, stars, like Naima Ayatif, like Samir Demal, like Tahir Karyoka. When you reach this uh, uh, level, uh, people respect you. You are really an artist. But there was also many other dancers uh, that, you know, the they are not that famous or they are not, or they use the dance. And this is very important that some use the dance. And this is what made the bad image for the dance. And people immediately changed their mind when they saw the weather group, mostly university students from good families, uh, dancing uh, with um, also the costume plays a, a great role because the, for the costumes, uh, the weather group, they were more, more for poor costume. They were not uh, half naked or anything like that. So people really appreciated that and, and they loved the group. And um, the group became really the, the, the real folkloric representative of Egypt in many, many uh, festivals. And when uh, presidents and kings and queens came to uh, visit Egypt, and Nasser insisted, President Nasser insisted always to bring the weather group to, uh, to make a show. Mm. So through this, we danced for uh, uh, Emperor Yassi for the Queen of uh, uh, Holland, uh, for many, many, many princes, and Prince Yanuk, uh, uh, many, and Yira Gandhi, you name it. All going to Egypt, we made a private show. Uh, usually also during this show, I remember we were part of the Reda group and with us was uh, Samia Gamal and uh, Nagel Ford. We always describe uh, Reda's troupe as a folklore troupe, but uh, even Mahmoud Reda was saying that it's not really exactly folklore. Uh, because it's a stage adaptation. So, how much do you feel was coming from uh, like folkloric roots, and how much maybe was coming from ballet background or any other cultures like that together mixed in what we today call as Reda style or the activity or dance presentation from Mahmoud Reda's troupe? Uh, first, let me tell you this: in any other country. You name it in Russia, in Mexico, in any other country. When they start to do folkloric dances on the stage, they must modify it to the stage. So this happened in many countries. And Egypt is not exceptional. So Mahmoud Reda 
modified the Egyptian dances to the stage without losing its Egyptianity. Yani the Egyptian felt that this is really Saidi, the, the audience, I mean. Uh, the uh, things, also folklore is not only dancing, because also you have uh, 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 songs, you have uh, costumes, you have uh, music, uh, you have props, uh, you have uh, also uh, um, characters, uh, you have fairy tales. And so we did all of this. So the Malaya dance is not a dance, but it's the way the lady wear the Malaya and the way it behaves. And Mahmoud is the first one who did uh, this dance. Okay, before him, of course, Samia Gamal did the Malaya dance, the Haya Karyoka did Malaya dance, but he made it for the stage that looked exactly the way the Malaya lady behaves. And this, and this is his, you know, um, this is his talent. It, he was a very good uh, choreographer, very good You mentioned that uh, many, many people, many royalties, many politicians really loved uh, Mahmoud Zreda's troupe. But at the same time, when uh, your troupe became uh, touring a lot abroad, there were some, um, not conflicts, but let's say pressure <laughs> starting coming probably from a government. And there's a lot of political things that happen into the troop. In your opinion, why it was so much pressure on either creating another troop or nationalize and really make it a huge troop from Mahmoud Zureda's troop instead of preserving what was at that moment Mahmoud Zureda's troop that it was so beautiful, so um, unique and so much loved and appreciated by people in Egypt and abroad. Why was that necessary to really transform it into something very different? Yeah, I, I think um, this question is easy to answer because the the Minister of, uh, of Art, uh, of course, did not like the idea that a group, uh, a private group, uh, beloved by the President Nasser of Egypt and very successful, and he did not, uh, does not belong to his ministry. So uh, what we did at that, at that time, what he did, uh, we had very good relationship with uh, Russia at that time. So he invited uh, a Russian uh, uh, choreographer by the name of Ramazan and started to create uh, or to found a group called the Kaumea Group uh, with uh, dancers you know, from physical education. Because at that time, there were not many, many dancers in Egypt professionally. So, but Ramazan, uh, uh, the Russian choreographer, He's a good choreographer, he's a good man, but he's Russian. So what he did, he uh, created choreographed uh, dances. When Egyptian audience saw it, they said, this is Russian, this is not Egyptian. So this was, people appreciate the rhythm group more and more. This is uh, what happened, it was short of, a sort of jealousy. Um, but we are happy now that we have many, many groups, not only the Egyptian, uh, called the Kaumea group after uh, 
Ramazin left and the Egyptian took over. Uh, uh, some of the dancers started also to choreograph dances. But in fact, I could tell any dancer from the Kaumea group, when he dances now, I can tell that this is, he is from the Kaumea group. Moving a little bit forward, I know that uh, those moments in your life where when the fact that you were a dancer and had dance career actually helped you to move out of Egypt. Is that uh, so? Uh, yeah, this is, uh, it was easy to leave Egypt as an artist than to leave Egypt as a, as a doctor. So I went first to, to Greece and then to Paris. I worked with uh, a group called Casino de Paris. Uh, it was an, uh, a group from Argentina, and I had to learn Spanish dances and uh, Argentinian dances. I performed with them. I went with them on a tour. Uh, this tour took us to Lebanon, after Bulgaria and uh, Italy and France. And then in Lebanon, they had to go to Iran. And uh, there was no diplomatic relation between Egypt and Iran, so I could not go with them. I stayed in Lebanon. And when I stayed in Lebanon, I said, what I'm going to do now? Uh, I started to study. I did a master's degree in medicine, in tropical medicine. And at the same time, I was teaching at the American University also dancing. So I never stopped. Uh, continuing dancing, and after that, I worked at the university. I did many shows, uh, and then I decided to go to Germany to get a PhD in tropical medicine. Or I was offered, as a matter of fact, to go to Germany to do a PhD in tropical medicine. So I did, and also in Germany, I course. Uh, I continued to dance and to teach dancing uh, until I, in 86, I created my own group in Berlin called the Hatu Dance Group. And uh, at that time, they were mostly American dancers. Because uh, for you to know that the uh, Oriental dance became popular in Europe, not through Egyptian through American Army, was the supposed of American officers or soldiers who practiced belly dance in America. When they came to Europe, they started to teach. So in Berlin, there was one by the name of Elizabeth. She was the first one to teach belly dancing in Berlin. And in Italy, there was a sort of a, uh, Aziza. This is not her real name, of course. An American started teaching in Italy. So I had this opportunity to meet all those people who really make the dance uh, popular uh, in Europe. And uh, from there, uh, um, I started also to teach in America and in Europe. And then this became a wave of uh, you know, teachers to teach everywhere. In, uh, now Egyptian are everywhere. Mm. 
I know that also along with uh, practical, let's say, dance classes, and uh, uh, you also share a lot of research uh, knowledge about dance and history and culture. What is your favorite uh, research uh, topic? Let, let's call it a research topic to share about with dancers regarding dance. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, the, this uh, call it. Uh, Balladry, or call it Egyptian dance, or call it Oriental dances, are all synonym of the, uh, the the same dance. I think this dance has uh, roots really in ancient Egypt, and uh, there is uh, proofs for that. And uh, Egypt is the Kaaba for uh, Oriental dance. You know, the, all the all the famous dances were made in Egypt. All the famous music for this dance were made in Egypt. And, uh, and people come from everywhere to to Egypt to experience, not only to learn the dance, but experience the atmosphere of this dance. And uh, Egyptians are, I think, the best audience. They understand this dance because they they experience it since they, they are born. So they can really appreciate it very much uh, when a dancer is a good dancer. And I would like to add to this that uh, what fascinates me about this dance also, the individuality, that sometimes people don't care about this and people imitate. If you remember all those legendary dancers, everyone is different. She has her own individuality, her own attitude in the dance. And this is the beauty of this dance. You have uh, this. You have this freedom uh, to, to develop your individuality in it. And it's an individual dance. It's not a group dance. And uh, also, um, you know, sometimes people think if they do a lot of movement that the people will appreciate this. It's not true. It's not true. You know, it's 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 also it's not only movement. It's a feeling, it's, it's an attitude, it's a, a communication. So I think people should understand all this uh, um, different aspect of this Oriental dance, uh, and especially for, for women. This is the best therapy you can think of. I mean, women will appreciate their body when they do this dance, and it will make them happy. So this is why also it became very popular everywhere. You will find people in in India and in Indonesia and in South America, in uh, uh, North America and Europe, everywhere in villages. Nobody could think that such a dance can invade Germany, where people in Germany did not care about anything foreign. But now in Germany, every village, there is a, a dance studio. It's, it's what this dance did to to uh, to women to to ladies. It's it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. And I tell you, as a doctor, it is the best therapy. <laughs> best therapy. Psychologically, uh, you know, you appreciate your body. Uh, you're not ashamed of your body. Uh, you appreciate yourself, uh, you are happy, then you make your environment happy. We did experiments on that, uh, you know, uh, even 
some in some families in Germany where even the the men were against this at the beginning, but when the woman did belly dancing and she was happy, the whole uh, family was happy. So it's it's, it's an amazing uh, thing, and it will never stop. If you experience this, they will never stop. Mm. <laughs> So true and checked, uh, not only uh, now we have a doctor's confirmation <laughs> about it, but also checked on practical uh, practice and practical life of uh, many women around the world, regardless of their country, nationality, age, and uh, uh, profession or anything else. <laughs> Because also uh, this dance, not everybody does it to become uh, professional. You know, to become professional, you have to work really very hard. And you have to study it, and you have to, to, to be keen on uh, uh, learning the right technique and, and uh, all the uh, different aspects. But also you can do it without all these things. You can just dance and enjoy. And for you right now, what is your main focus in the dance area? Yeah, still the, uh, the Egyptian folklore and the Oriental dance, and I try uh, very much to, you know, to give uh, as much information as possible. I'm working on a book uh, to write about the history of the dance, uh, to write about the technique of this dance, uh, to write about how to collaborate for this dance. Uh, several things that I think would be useful uh, for people Uh, to, to learn, uh, because I realized uh, through my uh, my life that, um, of course, uh, many of the dancers, because there was not uh, uh, books available or information available, but they themselves they started to create things that is not true. And I think people must uh, have the right to think if they love this dance really. They must uh, uh, have, uh, you know, you need uh, uh, nomenclature, names of the uh, different movements. Uh, you need, people should uh, uh, learn uh, what the ethics behind this dance. Uh, people must uh, learn uh, the right technique of this dance. Um, There are many, many things, how to choose the music, uh, how to start to choreograph. Uh, all these things are very important. And at the end, you know, uh, not every dancer is a choreographer. If you, if you are a good dancer and you love the dance, you must first know what you can. And if you're not, you don't have the talent of choreography, you ask a choreographer to help you. If you don't have the talent of teaching, you ask a teacher to, 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 to teach you. And many dancers anyway, of course, they, they learn. But I think the best way to learn is to work with one teacher that you like as a person, and you work with this person for a long time. But jumping from workshop to workshop, you're going to learn nothing. You can do this only if you are a good dancer, Then you can go to workshop to get some more experience about different uh, styles and different.
or just do it side by side. Uh, so having one teacher who can really give you more individual like or mentorship yeah. and getting extra information from different workshops. Yeah, if you do it parallel, I don't think it's good mm. because you get confused. I think it's the best way is to work with a teacher that you you feel good with this teacher, you trust, and it must not be the best teacher. A teacher who knows the dance and knows how to teach it. And uh, it must not be the best. But to get the basics right, because I remember that many dancers, even some call themselves professional, still they don't have the basics and they do not understand the dance. You know, you dance it, you love it, you enjoy it, you practice it, but you don't understand. Well, definitely something to think about for many dancers and to be uh, self-critique on that, uh, to make sure that uh, we, we are not blind to our own blind spots. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Well, I know that we just scratched a little bit of your activities and there is so much more to talk, but I also know that uh, you also have many other things to do today. So I don't want to overuse your time, but I really hope that we can continue at some point this conversation and do uh, episodes two, three, five, ten, and who knows how many. Um, but uh, before I ask our final summary question, I really want to thank you for your uh, time and for uh, you sharing your stories, inside memories and knowledge. And I also would like to ask, uh, where can dancers now follow you and follow your current activities and find out more about what you're doing and uh, where they may uh, find maybe some online uh, classes or maybe maybe in the future after this situation, current situation solved out physical classes with you and uh, in general, how, where they can find more information. Facebook. Facebook the best. The best, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I will definitely add link to Facebook as well as to your website uh, for dancers who want to find out more. And I would love to summarize our interview. We have a traditional question that I ask uh, every guest yes. at the end of uh, our conversation, regardless of what we talked. Actually, with you, we partially talked about it, but it would be a very nice kind of a summary still to do. Usually I ask about belly dance, but in this case, I'll just say Egyptian dance because it's obviously for you important a lot of like folklore and dance in general even. But the question is, what makes you fall in love with Egyptian dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? This is a very good question. <laughs> yeah, it's in my blood. Uh... It's, I must tell you one thing here. Uh, you don't have to be Egyptian to love this dance. And you don't have to be Egyptian to master this dance. Because if you like it, if you love it, and uh, you are you're coming from whatever, still you will enjoy it and you will uh, be good at it. So if anybody says, Egyptian can dance better, this is not true. Dance is like any art. You can find a Japanese who, who compose uh, classical music better than the European. So 
dance art has no nationality. I must emphasize this. It has no nationality. Wherever you come from, if you are engaged, if you love it, if you do it and you do it right, you're great. And that's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.